So I was thinking this week about the fact that it will never cease to amaze me how critics and skeptics of the Bible are so quick to dismiss anything that the Bible says. And I'm not just talking about miracles. I expect unbelievers to reject the incredible things that God does because his works are just too wonderful for them. I expect that. But it's it's more than that. You see, because the Bible declares God's great works, many skeptics will dismiss everything else in the Bible, even making the claim that cities and entire people groups and individuals never existed because we only find the record of them in the pages of Scripture. For example, there were many years where such skeptics said that King David, you know David, the one who famously slew Goliath with a sling and a stone, a critical figure in the history of Israel and the church. Well, many critics said, no, he never existed. No, he wasn't real. Because the only place we had a record of him were the pages of Scripture. They just said he's a figment of the imagination of those silly Jews and Christians. But then archaeology got to work. And in 1993, the Tel Dan Stella, or inscription, was found. Now, this dates back to the 9th century. Thank you, Trevor, for putting that on the screen. You can see it on the left-hand side there. And on this inscription, which dates to the 9th century, there was a reference to the king of the house of David. Well, it wasn't just that. Back in 1868, there was another piece found. It's called the Mesha Stella, or the Moabite Stone. Now, that was found back in 1868, but it was only recent tests on it that have revealed references to, again, the house of David and the altar of David. So suddenly, David's existence became historical fact. Now, not because of the long-standing word of God, but because of a couple stone slabs. But whatever. Then the skeptics said, well, sure, David existed, But he probably wasn't the king of some big kingdom like the Bible mentions. He was probably some ragtag shepherd leader, a little band of Hebrews out there in the desert. Well, just this year, an academic paper was published by a professor from the Institute of Archaeology at Hebrew University. And in that paper, he writes how several recently excavated cities outside of the city of Jerusalem, which date back to the time of David, actually reveal that David, he he ruled a kingdom that was larger in scope and influence than skeptics had originally admitted. You know, kind of like what the Bible says. I've said this before, church, and I'm going to say it again. One day, archaeology will catch up to the Bible. In the meantime, when we read about David in the Bible, we are confident that we are reading about someone who was very real. That means that the stories of his successes were real, and so were the stories of his failures. One of the things that I love about the Bible, and it's one of the things that sets it apart from other documents in antiquity of history, is that the Bible's not shy about mentioning the failures of the great men and women it records. Or even great champions of the faith, Abraham, Moses, Peter, Paul, the list goes on and on. Well, their failures are mentioned in Scripture that they, they did fall. They sinned. And David was no exception. Several times in the Bible, David's sins are mentioned, but none of them are as well known as David's sin with Bathsheba. Some of you might be familiar with that, but in case not, let me just recap that for you. 
This is found in the Bible in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And in 2 Samuel 11, we find that one spring, the Israelite army was off in battle, but David stayed behind in Jerusalem. One evening, David was on the roof of his palace, and he saw a beautiful woman. Her name was Bathsheba. Well, David sent someone to find out some more information about her. And he found out that Bathsheba was, she was married. But not only that, she was married to one of David's soldiers. And not only that, she was married to one of his elite soldiers. One of the men the Bible calls David's mighty men. His name was Uriah. But David didn't care about any of that. Now he coveted another man's wife, committed adultery with her, and then just decided that it would all go unnoticed. Except that Bathsheba got pregnant. Well, now things were a mess for David. A scandal ripe for the Jerusalem tabloids. And David, he tried his best to cover it up, but he was unsuccessful. And so he orchestrated the murder of Uriah on the battlefield. After Uriah was killed, David married Bathsheba, and no one was the wiser. Or so we thought. Later, God sent his prophet Nathan to confront David about his sin. There was nowhere left for David to hide. Suddenly, a tarnished reputation wasn't all that David had to worry about. The child that was born to him in Bathsheba, that child died. And his sin certainly became widely known. After all, it's been recorded for all to read for thousands of years in God's word. And we should be thankful that it is recorded for us because through David's sin and through his responses to it, there is a lot for us to learn, church. This morning, we're going to look at some truths that we need to understand when a Christian sins. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. We'll be looking at both of these, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Now, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to use one of those Bibles here in the sanctuary under the seat in front of you. If you'd like to use those, you can turn to page 446. Page 446, that's where you'll find Psalm 32. And just turn a couple pages to 457, you'll find Psalm 51. We're continuing our new sermon series, a selection of psalms that we're looking at. And it's important that we look at both of these today. You see, Psalm 51 is best known as David's prayer of repentance after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan, about his sin with Bathsheba. We know that because the text tells us that's what it is. Many scholars also believe that Psalm 32, another psalm of repentance by David, that this was written about the same situation, but written at a later time as David reflected on all these things. Now, we're going to look at both of these psalms together today because from them there is a lot that we can learn about sin and about the results of sin and the proper response to sin in the Christian life. And so that we're all on the same page, when we use that word sin, when we say sin, we are talking about the ways that we break God's commands, all the ways that we violate his holy decrees towards us. That is sin. Sin means to miss the mark or the goal. Another word that we'll see in the text today is transgression. To transgress is to cross the line. So let's look together. Let's start in Psalm 32, verse 1 this morning. So this is a psalm of David, a masculine. And verse 1 says this, 
Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Let's stop right here for just a second. If you were with us last week, we saw that the believer walking on the path of righteousness is blessed, didn't we? But we don't always walk on the path of righteousness, do we? No, neither did David. David was a man after God's own heart, but he failed. He sinned. And so do we. There's some truths that we need to recognize about sin, Christians. And one of those truths is that as Christians, we will still sin. In fact, in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, if as Christians we claim to be perfect or without sin, well, we're a bunch of liars. The truth isn't in us. The reality, the reality is that in this world filled with temptation, as we wrestle with this old sin nature, we will stumble at times. Now, this isn't an excuse for us to live in sin. No, how could we do that, Christians? Our lives aren't supposed to be defined by sin like they once were. Now that Christ is in us, we can overcome sin like never before. We're not supposed to live that way. Now, look, I understand that uh, all of us know that Christians still sin. I understand that none of us here thinks that we are perfect. But there are Christians who fall into the trap of thinking that because they've sinned, God doesn't want anything to do with them anymore. There are these times where whether it's because of a particular sin in our life or because we're living in a season of sin, that as Christians we start to think that maybe God can't forgive me any longer or won't. We start to think maybe, maybe the well of his grace and mercy has run dry. There's no way that he still loves me. There's no way that he hears me and cares. There's no way that I'm still his. And we fall into this pit of despair. But another truth about sin that we need to recognize as God's people is that we do not need to stay stuck in our sin, believers. Just as there is believer, or blessing for the believer walking on the path of righteousness, Psalm 32 tells us there's blessing for the one whose sins are forgiven. That means that forgiveness is available, believer. And we need to remember that truth when we fall into sin. Where 1 John 1.8 says that Christians, we're still going to sin. Well, one verse later we're told in verse 9 that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Can you imagine that? In all of our unfaithfulness, he's still faithful. That's an awesome truth. Believer, he will forgive. And when we repent, we'll step into his blessing that blessing that we miss out on when we choose to wallow away in the filth of sin. And therein lies another problem for many Christians, just as David would face this problem, as we'll soon see, which is that many times we recognize the reality of sin in our lives. We just refuse to go to God for the forgiveness of sin. There's a Christian lady who once shared an experience that she had when she visited the old city of Jerusalem in Israel. She said that one of the days she walked out into a, a section of the city that was very busy, and she noticed off in the distance a group of men who were begging. And she, she saw how, uh, as they talked amongst themselves, anytime someone passed by, they got very quiet so they could ask for money. And one man in particular drew her attention. 
When someone passed by, this man looked up with the saddest eyes you've ever seen. And he lifted one hand up to ask for money and simultaneously took his other hand and lifted up the leg of his pants to expose this bright wound that was on his leg. Oh, and this Christian woman, her, her eyes were drawn to this and she was heartbroken for the man because she had former training as a nurse and so she saw this and she knew that exposure to the elements would make that wound worse. In fact, she recognized that if that wound wasn't taken care of, it could lead to the loss of that man's leg. And these thoughts start running through her mind, and she realized he just needed, he just needed a hospital. He just needed to go and get treated for it, to have it wrapped up. And she started walking towards him, and then a friend whisked her away into the other direction. And you see, her friend explained to her that that man begging didn't want to be made well. She said that that man wanted to use his wound as a means of making money. And as long as that was his mindset, he would never be healed. In fact, his condition would get worse. So that lady wrote, she said, that the hospital doors were open to him and medicine was available, but he did not wish to get well. Church, God's arms of forgiveness are open to us. His mercy and grace are available, but at times in our lives, we don't want to be made well from these sins that grab hold of us. We would rather cling to them and then instead of clinging on to God because sin is easier in our minds or it's more pleasant and the path of, of righteousness, of obedience, seems hard. See, another truth about sin that we need to understand is that sin will always, it will always bring more difficulty and destruction when we remain in it, believer. But we don't need to remain in it. Yet we, we do this thing many times in our lives where we make excuses, we try and justify our sin, even though failure to address sin will make things worse. See, sadly, sometimes we, we don't want to be made well. We don't want to be spiritually restored. And so that sin in our life, it grows. Our condition, it worsens. David learned this the hard way. Many other Christians have too. Look at verse 3. Psalm 32, verse 3. David said, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. David said that when he kept silent about his sin, his bones wasted away. David was a wreck at this point in his life. He knew that he was in the wrong. He, he knew that he was at odds with God, that he was walking that wicked path we saw last week that leads to destruction, but he persisted in his sin. See, sometimes that's what we do in our sin. We persist. We keep pushing. We keep moving forward as though there's no going back. We don't want to let go of that habit. We don't want to let go of that sinful addiction because that sin seems better than the promises of God. And maybe, maybe we feel that it's easier that way for a while. But for the Christian, if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to feel the weight of these things believers. You're going to feel the overwhelming conviction of the Holy Spirit living within you. David said God's hand was heavy on him. 
Believers, before we buy into this lie that it's better for us to just let sin remain in our lives, we need to know the truth about the results of sin in the Christian life. We need to know what sin leads to. Now first, there's this general principle. This applies to all people, not just Christians. The Bible talks about it in Galatians chapter 6. This general principle that we reap what we sow. Okay, so there are consequences for our actions, including our, our sins. That's true for everybody. There are consequences. All right, for example, lies destroy trust. They ruin relationships. All right? Greed breeds a life of discontentment. Adultery, such as in David's case, soils one's reputation. And on and on the examples go. Now, for the unbeliever, the greatest consequence is that sin is going to lead to an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Now, the Christian doesn't need to fear the eternal future in hell, but there are other consequences we will face for sin, Christians. And one is that persistent sin in the Christian life can result in the loss of eternal rewards after this life when we stand before the Lord. I wish that we had more time to talk about that this morning. Instead, I'd encourage you to jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Go home and read that this week. But not only that, in the Christian life, the Christian will experience God's discipline when he or she sins. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that God disciplines his children when we sin, just like a loving parent disciplines their child to correct them, to train them in the way that, that they should go. Now look, I understand that some people might have a hard time with that truth. It might seem harsh to them if perhaps your parent was a harsh disciplinarian. But you need to remember that our perfect Heavenly Father disciplines perfectly. And you need to keep in mind that His discipline has a purpose. Sometimes God's discipline takes the form of hardships or loss. But in all things, these are to correct us, to purify us, to prepare us for holy living. And personally, I think one of the most devastating results of sin in the life of the Christian is that strain that we will feel in our relationship with the Lord. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know what I'm talking about. Sin in our lives creates this separation between us and God and our relationship with Him. Believer, I'm not saying you'll be severed from your relationship with God. You'll never lose that relationship with Him when you sin. But sin creates this distance within that relationship. And with that comes this loss of peace and joy and the loss of the blessing that comes with a close walk with our Lord. And I believe that the loss of these many times is one of the most difficult parts of his discipline towards us. Have you ex ever experienced those? Because honestly, if you're here today and you never have, I want you to know you should be worried if you haven't. I want you to understand that if you do not feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you do not see the discipline of God in your life when you sin, then friend, you need to examine if you were ever his child in the first place. The Bible says he disciplines everyone who is his child. Look at what was going on for David. I want you to see what David said in Psalm 51. So you can go ahead and turn over there for a moment. 
This, again, is his famous prayer of repentance after he was confronted about his sin with Bathsheba. And I want you to, would you really listen to what David was feeling through all of this? We'll look at verse 8 first. It says this, David, praying to the Lord, says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Look over at verse 11. He says, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. David was crushed under the conviction of his sin and the heavy hand of God. He fell far from the presence of the Lord and from God's Holy Spirit. He lost his joy. Notice, believer, that David doesn't say restore your salvation to me. He says restore the joy of your salvation. I will admit that sin will provide you some momentary fleeting happiness. But understand that to gain that, you have to walk away from the deep abiding joy that is found in Jesus Christ. What a worthless trade-off that we would make. David also knew that he had lost his testimony. He knew that it was only when he was made right with the Lord that he could finally start pointing sinners to God. And many Christians have lost their testimony through public and persistent sin. And these are all sad things, but most of all, it is sad when a Christian chooses to remain this way. It is worth noting that David stayed in this sin with Bathsheba under this conviction for months, maybe even close to a year. And we can be confident of that because his child with Bathsheba was born before he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. All that time, David could have repented, but he didn't. All that time, without repentance, living under the joyless separation from God. How miserable it is when any of us do that. There's a rumored story that uh, there was a man named Robert who was walking along the street one day, and Robert was himself pretty miserable. See, Robert was a Christian, and at one time he was also a pastor. But at this moment in his life, as he walked along the street, he was living in sin. He knew that. He knew that he wasn't walking with the Lord, and he was just miserable. Well, as he walked along, a lady was driving by in her carriage, and she stopped and asked if he would like to ride with her. She was on her way to church, and he accepted. And when he got in, he quickly noticed that her attitude was very different than his. He was downcast. She was upbeat. She just had this joy all about her. And then she started talking to him about this song that she had been singing. She just couldn't get it out of her head. In fact, it's a song that we sang a little earlier in our service together. It's come thou fount of every blessing. In case you've forgotten some of the words, I'll I'll remind you. Part of it, that song says this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Well, this song was a delight to the ladies. She couldn't help but talk about it. And at first, Robert sat there quietly. He didn't say anything. He just kind of hoped she'd move on, but she didn't. She went on and on and on talking about this song until finally Robert looked at him and he said, Madam, he said, listen, 
He said, I am the poor and unhappy man who wrote that song years ago. And he said, I would trade a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had back then. Well, when the woman realized she was in the presence of the man who composed that song, as the story goes, she encouraged him, and it was on that day that Robert turned his life around and started living for the Lord again. But our hearts are prone to wander, aren't they? And it is sad when we choose to continue wandering from the Lord. When we do, our troubles and our misery will increase. But blessed, blessed, do not forget, blessed is the one who goes to God for forgiveness. And that's the final thing I want us to recognize, which is that the right response to sin in the Christian life is repentance. Look back at Psalm 32, verse 5. David wrote and said, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You'll protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. So there was David living in sin under the heavy hand of God, far from joy, far from righteousness, and then he said he acknowledged his sin. He had this wake-up moment. Now, I'm not saying he was unaware of his sin before. He was aware. But he finally opened his eyes to the depth of his wickedness and his stubborn rebellion, and he went to God about it. I was thinking about when David wrote, then I acknowledged my sin. And it reminded me of, of the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And in that parable, Jesus said that there was a young man who told his father one day that he wanted his share of the inheritance. All right? So his dad was taking too long to die, I suppose. And he took his share of inheritance. He took the money and he abandoned his family. And then he went. He went off and, and lived wild and reckless living. But Jesus said that soon the man, he was broke. Oh, he's destitute, starving. He hired himself out as a common laborer, feeding pigs in a field. And he was so desperate that Jesus said even the slop he was feeding the pigs started to look good to him. And Jesus said that that is when the man came to his senses. He realized just how foolish it was to continue like this, to live this way, to live in a stubborn pride. And the man decided to humble himself, go back home, throw himself at his father's feet for forgiveness. And David had this moment where he finally came to his senses and threw himself at the feet of his heavenly father for forgiveness. And David found what the prodigal son found and what every person finds who comes with a heart of repentance to God, and that is that the father's arms of forgiveness are open wide. Listen to David's heart of repentance. Listen to how he was praying to the Lord. At the beginning of Psalm 51, David said this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict. And justified when you judge. 
Friend, our repentance begins with recognizing, acknowledging our sin, which is first and foremost against God. And then confessing it as sin, asking him for forgiveness and forsaking those sins, leaving them behind. David wrote in Psalm 51, verse 10, he said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David was also ready to get back to pure living in God's sight. True repentance comes with a desire to live the right way. To change our mindset about sin so instead we can focus our mind back on God and living for Him. And the great news, the great news for all of us is that when we cry out in repentance, God does hear us. He does. Sometimes we're tempted to think that He doesn't, but, but He does hear us. We can be confident of that. In fact, Psalm 32 picks up in verse 8 with God responding to David. And God says this, Psalm 32, 8, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. When we return to the Lord with a heart of repentance, we're going to be blessed, quite happy and content as we return to his instruction and his counsel with his loving eye on us. You know, we all know that God sees everything that we do. But in our sin, we try and hide from him, don't we? But we don't want God to see the things that we do when we're sinning. We don't want him to see that. In fact, we want, we want to hide from him. But in righteousness, when we're forgiven, he becomes our hiding place. And we rejoice that he is watching us, don't we? In fact, rejoicing, rejoicing is the next part of the Christian response to sin. Because believer, once we have been forgiven, once we have repented, we must rejoice. David ended Psalm 32 this way. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. When we go to God with a heart broken over sin and we repent of our wrongdoing, determined to walk on that righteous path again, we need to rejoice. We need to praise Him for that forgiveness. Sometimes we ask for forgiveness and then we continue on living in guilt and shame as though God hasn't forgiven us though he hasn't hurt us. A believer, that's not true. Repent and then rejoice that God's mercy and grace abound. Learn from the consequences. We need to learn from his discipline. And then we need to live with a clean heart before the eyes of the Lord. Because you see, church, all of us are going to fall into sin at times. We will. When we do, we ought to be quick to run back to the arms of the Lord for forgiveness rather than wallowing away in sin. I once heard a story about a Christian who was walking on the sidewalk one day. They were in a, some section of a city somewhere, and, and they looked off and they saw a well-known pastor crossing the street. And they noticed that about halfway through the crosswalk, he just stopped. He closed his eyes. Then after a few minutes, he opened them and he kept walking. So the next time they saw the pastor, they asked him what he was doing that day in the street. He said this. He said, I realized in that moment that there was a sin in my life that had come between me and God. 
And I decided to stop and take care of it right then and there. And that should be our response, believer, when we sin in our lives. As soon as we recognize our sin, we should repent quickly of it and return to righteous living. We'll be blessed when we do that, when we step into his forgiveness. But when we choose to wallow away in sin, we're going to find that our consequences, that God's discipline are going to abound more and more in this life. And that if we persist, it's going to abound in the loss of rewards after this life. Why would we live that way, believers? Now let's learn from the example of David. Let's learn from the example of his mistake. Let's learn from the example of his repentance. Here's the truth for us this morning, believers. It's this. Persistent sin will pile up our troubles, but in the arms of God's forgiveness, we'll find peace. We need to remind ourselves of that when we persist in sin, that persistent sin will pile up our troubles. It may not seem like it in the moment, but it will. But in the arms of God's forgiveness, we'll find peace. In just a moment, as we sing our final song, I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, believer, examine your heart this morning. Are you persisting in some sin, living in some season of sin in your life? If so, believer, we need to go to God for forgiveness. Let that be what our close this morning is for you, a time where you repent before the Lord. Believer, remember, the altar is open too. Maybe you want to come to the front, kneel at the altar, and lay everything out before the Lord where you can be surrounded by other Christians who will put their arm around you and pray with you at the same time. James chapter 4 says this. It says, come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. That's what some of us need to do this morning. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord and go to Him in repentance. But believer, maybe you're here and you are living in the blessing of His forgiveness. And if that's where you're at, as you examine your heart, then I'm going to encourage you during this final song, rejoice. Rejoice in His forgiveness. Rejoice in His goodness and mercy. In other words, believer, there's a way that each of us needs to respond. Rejoice or repent. And if we need to repent, Rejoice immediately afterwards. But maybe you're here and you've never gone to God for the forgiveness of your sins. Friend, if that's true for you, if you've never gone to God for forgiveness, that means you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand the true gravity of sin. That all of our sins, all of them, we we think some sins are greater than others, but the truth is that every single sin is a capital offense in the eyes of God. That's how grievous our sin is in the sight of a holy God. And so the Bible says that our sin deserves the punishment of an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. We might not like it, but that's the just punishment for it. And we can't make up for sin. Taking communion is not going to help you get to heaven. Getting baptized is not going to get you there. Going to church isn't going to get you there. Only Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and give you the eternal life that all of us need, the salvation from the penalty of hell and the guarantee that we'll be in heaven forever after this life. And friend, please understand that there is no other way to salvation. It is only through Jesus. And the Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you have never done that, we want to give you the opportunity to do that before you leave. Would you pray with me?
Friend, if that's where you're at, if, if you're here, you don't know what's going to happen after this life. You can't say with confidence that Jesus is your Savior. You just, you don't know where you stand with God. Don't, don't leave that way. Don't leave unsure about your eternity. Please know that you can come, come to the front and talk with me during this final invitation song. We'll have some people in the back. If you're sitting back there, go talk with someone back there. Don't, don't leave unsure of where you stand with the Lord. But maybe you're here and you already know that you are not saved. You already know that you've never been forgiven and you want to take care of that right now. If that's true for you, I don't want you to wait another moment. So friend, if you'd like to receive that forgiveness, that salvation that God is offering, you can follow me in a simple prayer like this. And if you pray this by faith, I promise you on the authority of God's word, he'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll bring you into his family and give you eternal life. You can pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've broken your commands. I know that I've done bad things. And I know that I'm far from you. But Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. That you didn't stay in the grave, but that you powerfully rose from the dead. And today, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm ready to leave that life behind me. Today, I'm asking you to be my Savior. I'm giving everything over to you. Father, I pray that if there is anybody here who's still not sure where they stand with you, they wouldn't leave that way. They would talk to somebody before they leave. For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, I pray that your spirit would be working in our hearts right now because some of us, some of us this morning, we need to acknowledge our sin to you. We need to repent of it. We need to stop wallowing away in the filth of it and ask you to create in us a clean heart so that we could live in a way that pleases you again. And then we need to rejoice in that forgiveness. And then there are some of us who are living, living in the joy of that forgiveness. Help us to rejoice during this final song. Help it not to be something that we just check off the box so we can get out of here. Let this be a time where we respond to your Spirit's guiding in our lives. And I pray that as we leave this place, you'd be honored. You'd be glorified. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your forgiveness because it reminds us day by day that you love us more. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.